scripture memory verse tonight, John 17, 17. Sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. John 17, 17. Anybody else? Good job. Anybody else? Don't fall on top of each other trying to speak scripture. We got to learn how to do this so we can talk to other people about it. job. Anybody else? You know, interestingly enough, John 17 in itself uh, is the Lord's prayer. This is, you know, they, they, they say that it's in Matthew, you know, the one that many people quote, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Listen, that word hallowed means sanctified be your name set apart. His name is holy. It's the same word as sanctification or sanctified. But that is not the Lord's Prayer. That was an example that Jesus gave to the disciples of how to pray. That He said uh, our Father who art in heaven, that's who we're praying to. And then setting apart His name. His name. is It means His character, His nature, His will, His authority. And if we don't come underneath his authority and understand that there's salvation in no other name except Jesus, then the prayer goes nowhere. That's the first thing that we have to do is surrender to the authority of God and receive the provision of God for our sin nature. So here in John 17, really, you see the true Lord's Prayer where, where Christ prays to the Father in the last night of his life when he has already decided that he's going to the cross fully and he asked the father to glorify him with the glory he had before and so as we get to where we really want to look at I don't want to do too much with it because we want to move uh, through this and not teach the entire chapter of John 17 although I would love to you can read that for yourself he's praying for he prays for him to be glorified for himself. Then he prays for the disciples. Then he prays for us in the future. He even says that in 1720. I do not pray for these alone, but also those who will believe in me through their word. As we hand out the word to other people, there's people that's going to be confronted with the word of God, the truth of God, and the will of God, and they are going to surrender their life to God and receive Jesus Christ and become the children of God. So I want to start probably in 1714. Um, although there's much more in many places that somebody else might start. He says, I have given them, speaking of the disciples that he's praying for, I have given them, to free, freely given, your word. Notice he's praying to the Father and he tells the Father, I have given them your word. Because, see, the Father sent the Son on mission with a word, with a message of salvation. 
with an example. He sent his word out to heal the land. So I have given them your word, and the world has hated them because they are not of the world just as I am not of the world. So notice that there's a, a comparison here. Why do people hate those who receive the gift of the word of God? Because their standards are ungodly. They are living in death culture. They do not want to follow God, so they hate, they detest, or especially they persecute those who receive this uh, free gift from God. They hated the disciples. They hated Jesus. They hate the truth of the word of God. And that's why you see death culture today again. But God is allowing it. God is allowing this to happen. God is totally all-powerful. It's not like somebody is pushing on God and doing what they want to do. God is already knows what's going on. He's already in the future. He's allowing them to do what they do. And you and I need to surrender to God and live for them and be careful with what the world tells us. Now, the Bible talks about the world in three different ways. The world, of course, is the word cosmos. Yeah, we spell it C-O-M-O-S, but it's really K-O-M-O-S in the Greek. Uh, and the world is God's world. God so loved the world. He does love his creation the way he created it. He loves the creation because he created it without sin. He created it perfect, and, and, and he created it for fellowship with him. And, and, and so there's three types of the world. There's the uh, uh, creation, uh, all the world, the, the orderly arrangement of the planet and, and the things that God put on the planet. Then there's the, the world, which is the people. That's the, that's the God so loved the world that he gave his son to, to redeem them, that, to, that whomsoever believe in him uh, would not perish but have eternal life. And then there's the world that God hates. See, there's, there, there's even the love that God hates. He doesn't want us to love the world or the things that are in the world, for the love of the Father is not in the things of the world. And what is he speaking of in, in, in 1 John when he says that in 1 John 2? He's speaking of the system or the systems that are diametrically opposed to him. He's speaking of the evil that's in the world that does not want to come underneath his authority. He's speaking against those who would follow Satan's agenda, those who would listen to Satan's authority and Satan's government. Death culture is what we've been calling it because or excuse me, Satan was a murderer from the beginning, so he wants to kill anything that belongs to God. So it says here, uh, I have given them your word. Why? Because that's the message. That's the gospel message, the word that was sent to heal the land. Now, Jesus is the word of God. Don't miss that. He's the living word of God. The Bible tells us in John 1, 1, in the beginning was the word. The word was with God and the word was God. 1, 14, and the word come to earth and took flesh. In the Greek, that's pitched his tent, his temporary house among us, and we beheld the glory, the glory of the uh, Father, the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Jesus come to earth. He's the word. He pitched his tent. He made his house with us, and he gave his word to those, these messengers, the disciples, 
who began to go out and give it to others. Just as the Father sent him, he's going to say that in 18, he sent them into the world just as the Father sent him into the world. And that is our example, to go and give this word. Listen, you can talk nice to people. You can say hi to people. You can smile at people. You can do all things. You can teach them manners, but they still go to hell. The only way for somebody to be saved is to believe in the word of the gospel, to believe in the word of life, and that's Jesus Christ. There's salvation in no other name, and that is a free gift that has been given to us. And when we talk about that, the world will hate us because they first hated Jesus. And he says in 15, I do not pray. Notice he's still praying to the Father. And he says, I do not pray that you should take them out of the world. What? They hate us, Lord. Aren't you going to take us out of the world? No, we're here to be a witness. Listen, listen, they hated him and they crucified him. He says, I don't pray that you should take them out of the pain, the suffering, the world, the hate, the persecution, Father, but that you should keep them from the evil. Keep them from the evil one is the King James or New King James, but the King James is just evil. And, and evil here means the, the, the effect or the influence of evil. It's the effect or the influence upon the life of, of bad or hurtful, grievous things that are wickedness. I know you guys know because I say it all the time, 1 John 5, 19. I know you're of God, but the whole world lies underneath the sway of wickedness. Underneath the sway of the wicked one. Well, what does that mean? It's lying underneath the lie. It's lying underneath sin because of the liar. And so we want to make sure that we're not underneath the sway of that. We're not listening to the lie, but we are listening to the word of God. That's what Christ has given us. He is the living word, and he has given us his spoken word, and he's given us truth so that we would not have to listen and follow a lie. So the answer for all of this is that he doesn't want to take us out of the world yet, but he wants us to be a witness and an example of Christ's likeness and handing out the word of God, and God will keep us from evil as we are about his work. So he says to them, 16, they are not of the world. Listen, if you have received the gift of the word of God, if you have received forgiveness of your sins, if you have become a child of God, you are no longer of this world. This world is a battleground. This world is not our home. We're pilgrims here. We're, we're, we're uh, um, passerbyers. We are, this is not our home. We're aliens. Our home is in heaven. Our citizenship is in heaven. Look, they are not of this world. The world. Just as, contrast or comparison again, I am not of the world. Jesus is not of the world. This is not his home. He came down to save his children and to give them an example, to give them the word of God, the truth of God. So he doesn't want to take us out of the world, but he wants to keep us from the evil world, right? How's he going to do that? That's our memory, verse 17. Sanctify them by your truth, your word is truth. So again, as we studied in 1 Peter on Sunday, and I'm going to read that, 1 Peter, 
Peter's writing to the, 1 Peter 1, 2, he's writing to those of the dispersed and the pilgrims, us, those who are aliens, those who know this is not their home, those who have received Jesus Christ, and they've received that word that they were giving them that opened their eyes. He says that they are the elect according to foreknowledge of God the Father in sanctification, King James, through sanctification of the Spirit. Why? For obedience. How? By the sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ. So again, he's telling us about sanctification. And as we talked about then and now, that sanctification means more than one thing. It means setting apart. It means being consecrated. But the Spirit seals you into the body of Christ. And positionally, in God's kingdom, in God's family, in God's house, no matter where you at, you become God's property. Bought by the precious blood of Jesus. And now you've been sanctified. Set apart for what? To be used by God. Consecrated. Purified. Positionally. But then there's another step in that. Where we are practically going to be set apart. Practically used by God. Where he sanctifies us. And he gives us the gifts. He gives us talents. He gives us abilities. And he begins to train us. To be just like we are in the position, purified, holy, pure, tried, and true. And let's talk about it like this. When something's sanctified, it's set apart for a specific reason, for a specific use. In the Old Testament, when the temple was built, then God also had these other things built that were sanctified and consecrated and set apart for the temple. And they were only to be used for God's service, for God's worship, in God's house. And as they were used, they would get banged up, they would get bent, they would, they would get scratches, but they were still holy, they were still purified, and they were still vessels of honor for God to use for His glory. And it's the same thing with you and I. We've been bought by the blood of Jesus, and we become His vessels. We become his property and we become holy because he's holy. Think about it for a minute. We were not holy. We were unholy. We were sinners. But as soon as we're purchased and we're given to God, now we're holy. Why? Because God doesn't have anything that's not holy. We instantly become holy because he's holy because the spirit of God sanctifies us. Why? Because of the righteousness and the purity of Christ that was given to us by the word of the gospel. We receive it freely. Now we stand before God pure, holy, undefiled, a chaste virgin, Paul says uh, in elsewhere. And so we become this pure, chaste virgin who's preparing ourselves for the groom at the wedding supper of the Lamb for our consummation of our wedding. I mean, you can actually take it this way and look at it. Listen. You might be a heathen dog and you go out gambling with all your money and you go to the to the gambling casino and you win a million dollars and then you go, wow, I just want to do something with it and you give it to the church. You put it in the tithe box. It becomes holy because you gave it to God. It doesn't matter how it was drummed up. doesn't matter where it came from. It instantly becomes holy because God doesn't have anything that isn't holy. So that's your position in Christ. That's who you are now in Christ because of Jesus Christ and the word that we have received. It was given to us as a free gift of God. It's not of works 
lest any man should boast, Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 tells us. And then God says, I don't, I don't want to protect you from the evil. I want to take you away from the evil and you be a witness to this present evil age. So I'm going to sanctify you and I'm going to teach you how to walk, excuse me, not walk, run a race to win and be a witness before this evil world because there's other people that need to come out of this evil system and believe the truth. So I could take you and just take you home. Now what would be the point of that? You give your life to Jesus, you instantly fall down dead and you go to heaven. Where does God get the glory in that? God wants the glory. He wants people to see you as a trophy of grace, as a child of God. He wants to see the transformation. And so it's not just positional sanctification, but there's practical, or some call it progressive, and you are being renewed day by day as you obey God, as you live for God, as you are being receiving the word of truth. Which is what the scripture says. Make them more like me. Set them apart. Conform them to my image by your truth. Your word is truth. You know, Paul says that in the uh, 12th chapter of Romans. When he says, I beseech you, therefore, brethren. People in the same family of God. I urge you, I plead with you, brethren. Considering the mercy of God. That you present your bodies a living sacrifice, not dead. We were born dead. Now we're living because Christ is life. Christ has given us life. So it's a living sacrifice, holy because of Christ, and acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. It's a reasonable thing to do. Think about it. When you think about the mercy of God, it's only reasonable to surrender your body to Christ, to surrender your life to Christ, to surrender everything you have to Christ. Why? Because he's already given all of his life and he's going to take us across the finish line. He's going to make us like him. He's going to teach us to run a race, to win, and use us as witnesses to a dead and dying world. So he says, I beseech you therefore, brethren and sister, and I guess uh, uh, it's just using the male pronoun, uh, considering the mercy of God that you present your bodies living sacrifices. What's the problem? Living sacrifices get up. So it's an act of your will. It's a choice of your day. It's, it's a denial of self to take up your cross daily and be a living sacrifice. Follow after Christ. Obey him. And it's not easy because he's already told us that the world hates us. They hates that witness. And he says, do not be conformed to this world, this system or systems that are diametrically opposed to God, death culture, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. So you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. So as our mind is being renewed, we're being sanctified. Our desires are being changed. The, what we think is being changed. How we act is being changed. And we're being conformed into the image of Jesus Christ, a suffering servant who laid down his life and was obedient to God, even to the point of death, yea, death on a cross for you and me. So sanctify them by your truth. Well, what is truth? Your word is truth. Everything about the word. Why is that so important? Because the devil lies to us. 
The devil lied to Eve and said, did God really say? And challenged the authority, challenged the word of God that was given that thou shalt eat from all the trees in the garden, but you shall not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. For in the day that you eat of that tree, you shall die. And spiritual death occurred when Eve disobeyed the word of God, the command of God, the truth of God that was there to sanctify and set her and Adam apart. And then Adam ate as the woman gave to him and their eyes were open and they could see that they were naked and they went and hid themselves. Is that really what we want to do in life? Hide ourselves from God? So he comes all these years later and he sets us apart. He dies for us so that we can come again and we don't have to be afraid of God. He takes away the penalty of sin and the power of sin. And, and soon he's going to take us to heaven and he'll, he'll take us completely out of the presence of sin. And he's given us this free gift that we can run a race to win. Are you running? Sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. And then he says in 18, as you sent me. See, he's talking to the Father. He's praying with the Father. He's acknowledging that the Father sent him as an apostle. One sent forth to do what? Into the world to do what? I have also sent them into the world. Just like, there's your example. Just as the Father sent Jesus, Jesus obeys the Father, fulfills what he was supposed to do as the Messiah of God, and then he sends the others, the apostles, and then us to the world, just as the Father sent him into the world. Now, John 17, he hasn't went to the cross yet, so it's pretty interesting, but in his heart, he has settled it up that he's completely going to do the will of God. Behold, it is written in the volume of the book, I have come to do your will, O God, we will read in a minute. And he's already saying it as if it's finished because he's going to lay down his life. And he sends us the same way. And then he says in 19, and for their sakes, whose sake? Our sakes. All the people who will believe in Jesus' sake, he says, I sanctify. I set myself apart. I consecrate myself that they also may be sanctified by the truth. Now, again, the first truth is we believe that Jesus is Lord and that God raised him from the dead and you shall be saved. For with the heart one believes unto righteousness and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. Romans 10, 9 and 10. That's the first truth. That's the first place you need to be. And that's the wedding ceremony where you agree to a certain set of facts and you say, I will. And God says, I will. And he's faithful to keep his part, but we need to be faithful in keeping our part and that's a fruit of the spirit that we ask him for so in that when we believe that we are sealed into the body of christ positionally sanctified and then we have to begin to walk it out get in the word prayer and fellowship read through the scriptures begin to see what truth is so you can recognize the lie from the devil because the one thing that will keep you from being sanctified is believing the lie of the devil. When you don't know truth, 
you can follow the devil. You think you're running a race and you're really running in the wrong direction and you end up deceived and end up in hell and you've never been sanctified even positionally in the first place. Let's look at Hebrews 10 and I'll close with this. It might take me a little bit. I would encourage you to study um, the book of Hebrews, chapter 10 maybe specifically at this time concerning sanctification. But one thing you need to learn when you read it is that, that only men can make coffee. Hebrews. I mean, it's that simple. Only men should make the coffee. I'm teasing, of course. I think that our... Um, Messianic Jew that used to come to our Bible study, he said it's actually pronounced Shebrews. So that's why I make my wife make the coffee in my house. I'm teasing again, of course, in jest. Hebrews chapter 10. I'm going to start reading in verse 5. I would love to read in other places, but I don't want to belabor this uh, great truth. Therefore, now when it's therefore, you should always look back um, and what it's there for basically what he said was is that the blood of animals was insufficient they were only a shadow of things to come when you look into the Old Testament they are a shadow of what? of Christ everything in the Old Testament is a shadow of Christ well how does a shadow happen? because there's a great light that shines upon the truth of the word of God and reflects back into the past and gives a shadow of things to come everything in the tabernacle was only a shadow or a type of Christ. Everything in the Levitical system uh, of killing animals was only a shadow or a type of Jesus Christ. But the blood of animals could not satisfy. They, in the Old Testament, it's called a kofar. It covered the sin so that God didn't see it, so he didn't have to kill sinners until the day that Christ would come and he would give his blood, a righteous blood, a righteous uh, sin offering for the sins of the world, the just for the unjust, so that you and I could believe and trust in that blood and have life eternal with God forever. So that's basically, he says, it's just a shadow. It wasn't what God wanted. It was only to protect the Old Testament saints who looked forward to salvation. You and I look back upon it. He said, therefore, when he came into the world, who? Jesus God became the Son of God and took flesh and dwelt among us, John 1.1. 1, 1. He said, sacrifice and offering you did not desire. God didn't want that. But a body you have prepared for me. Flesh, Jesus, he come in flesh. He took flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld his glory, the glory of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. He was born of a virgin birth. This body was prepared for him. In burnt offerings and sacrifices for sin, you had no pleasure. God has no pleasure in dead animals, nor does he have any pleasure in dead Christians. Then I said, see, Christ gave us life. And we're supposed to have life. We're supposed to be alive with that life. We're supposed to be bold as lions. We're supposed to go out and tell others about that life and live out loud in front of them because of the Spirit of God sanctifying us. Then he said, Behold, I have come. In the volume of the book it is written of me.
to do your will, O God. This book, 66 books by 40 authors inspired by the Spirit of God. It's written everywhere. The Old Testament uh, about Jesus coming to do the will of God. And that speaks of obedience to do the will of God. It's one thing to know the will of God and to ignore it. But what about to do it? You know, James says, be hearer, or excuse me, be doers and not hearers only, deceiving yourself. But many they hear the word and they never do the word and they deceive themselves because it's in the obedience. Now we're saved by the blood of Christ because of his obedience, and we're sanctified positionally. But if we're sanctified positionally because of that blood, we will practically be sanctified because of us learning what the truth is and wanting to obey the truth and allow him to change us from glory to glory. Now, he's going to say that. I just put it in a smaller form for you. Watch this. Previously saying, verse 8, sacrifice and offering, burnt offerings and offerings for sin you did not desire nor had pleasure in them, he's repeating, which are offered according to the law. Then he said, Behold, I have come to do your will, O God. And of course, he's quoting um, the Old Testament. He takes away the first that he may establish the second. He took away the, uh, the writing of the law, the, and, he, and he give us the spirit of God. The, uh, the letter of the law doesn't save us. It's the spirit of the law, which is for obedience. And he gives us his perfect obedience, his righteousness, his right standing. That's our positional uh, justification, just as if we never sinned before God. And then look at number 10, verse 10, 10, 10. By that will, we have been sanctified, set apart, consecrated, through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. See, this is a perfect, righteous offering that was given once for all through Jesus Christ, the Messiah, the Messiah of God. He lived a perfect life. He never sinned. And he went to the cross obediently. That's, that proves that he was fully obedient to do the will, to finish what he was called for. Listen to me. What are you called for? What did God save you for? To be a witness. He didn't want you to be taken out of the world. He wants you to go through the world. He wants you to go through and follow and go and do exactly as Christ did to be sanctified, learn to obey God and be a witness for God by the Spirit of God for the glory of God. And he wants us to do the will of God in sanctification because Christ died once for all, the just for the unjust. And then he goes on to explain in verse 11, and every priest, now listen, we become believer priests. So what's that mean? We believe in the blood of Jesus and we become a priest of God's because we believe. Every priest stands ministering, this is talking about the law, daily and offering repeatedly the same sacrifices which can never take away sins. See, that's what the Old Testament offering system was. It was only to cover. It was a kofar. 
It covered the sins. And so the priests continually, they're standing every day. They're ministering. They're, they're killing animals. And when you kill the animal, listen, when they killed the animal, you would bring the animal to the priest, and then you would hold the animal while the priest slit its throat, and its blood would run out on the altar. And you would know that something had to die for your sins. If something had to die for you to be at one again with God and your sins to be covered. And that's what people really need to know. You have to confess that Jesus is Lord and that he died, that God raised him from the dead. But we have to understand that that cost God his only son. It doesn't cost us anything. It's a free gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. But if we've opened it, then it's everything. It's our inheritance. We can run this race to win. Verse 12, But this man, Jesus, after he had offered one sacrifice for sins forever, notice this, he offered himself. He was the priest. He was the sacrifice. He gave his blood freely. He offered one sacrifice for sins forever. Perfect blood of the Messiah the anointed God's provision for the sin nature. What did he do then? Well, we know that he went into the grave for three days. Then he resurrected. Then he spent 40 days speaking to the apostles, telling them of the things pertaining to the kingdom of God. And then as they stood and watched, he ascended into heaven. And then angels said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking? This same Jesus will appear again the same way that he left. He's going to come again. Now go and tell others. But when Jesus ascended, after paying for sins forever, the whole world since, he sat down. And there's only one throne in heaven, and it's the throne of God. No one can sit down in heaven unless they are God. Jesus sat down at the right hand of God. It's the hand of power. And he's making intercession for you and me. He's still praying for us daily. 13, from that time, waiting till his enemies are made his footstool. Listen, that time is coming soon. He's going to make his enemies the footstool completely soon. He's defeated death. He's defeated all the enemies. But he allowed Satan to be out for a time period, uh, out on bond, if you will, to tempt others and to give them an option whether they wanted to keep following themselves or do they want to believe the truth. Do you want to follow Satan or do you want to believe the truth? Do you want to follow the world and its governments or do you want to believe the truth and receive the free gift of life eternal with God? Notice what he did, verse 14. For by one offering he has perfected forever. Can't take it away. Those who are being sanctified. Now listen to me because I want you to see that as an evidence. If there's a positional sanctification where you're set apart and now you become the property of God in the house of God as a vessel of God for the glory of God to go do the work of God and learn to obey God, then the proof and the evidence is those who are being sanctified. If you are going, if you are doing, if you are following and learning to be obedient as Christ did and trying to fulfill your ministry 
That proves that you indeed have the Spirit of God because nobody can do this on your own. It has to be the Spirit of God. Notice what he did. He perfected positionally. He completed forever. Done deal. Cannot lose it if you really have it. Those who are being sanctified. Are you being sanctified? Do you have a desire to be sanctified? Well, how do you do that, Greg? Sanctify them by your truth. Your word is true. You begin to learn the word. You begin to be led by the Spirit of God. As many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are the children of God. Romans 8, 14. And then you begin to show fruit in your life. You begin to see that you have evidence that you weren't only positionally sanctified, but now you're being practically sanctified because you are learning to obey God. You're not sinless, but you're sinning less. You're not perfect practically, but positionally you're perfected. And now you're moving towards that. In fact, we're told, be ye perfect as your Father in heaven is perfect. That is the goal. We're perfected in Jesus positionally. And now the goal is to turn our hearts toward home and learn how to go out by the power of the Spirit and be sanctified practically so that we can be perfect in our desires, perfect in our lives, perfect in how we speak to people. Listen. If we had the perfect spirit in us, we do sanctification. If we had it leading us, we should, 814 of Romans, then it would produce love in our life and it would look like joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And that love would not fail. That love would cover a multitude of sins. That love would be sanctified, a living sacrifice and be used for the glory of God. So we want to surrender to His mighty working power in us and be practically what He's already given us positionally. Practically what it is positionally. And part of that is confessing our sin, confessing when we're not, getting back on that altar and saying, Lord, I here I am, a living sacrifice, change me, make me more like you, wash me and cleanse me, and set me apart back on your shelf for your glory. Use me as a vessel of mercy to tell others. He actually goes on to say, let's just do it, 15. But the Holy Spirit also witnesses. Notice this, the Holy Spirit is where the witness of God is. He comes uh, alongside you and convicts you of sin and righteousness and judgment. And then when you, you trust him and you say, I need a savior, he comes in you and he lives in your heart and begins to redecorate your heart and your desires. And then you can ask him for power and he comes upon you to love others. And you have fruit unto the completion until you see him face to face. He's promised that he will complete the work in us until the day of Christ Jesus. Till the day he sees his own face fully in us. The Holy Spirit also witnesses to us. For after he has said before, this is the covenant that I will make with them after those days, says the Lord. I will put my laws into their hearts. 
See, if you have his law in your heart, then you know what you're supposed to do. There's conviction there when you're not doing it. So you can learn to be practically obeying God, even though positionally you're perfected. Positionally, there's no power of sin. Positionally, there's no penalty of sin. So practically, you can obey the heart of God because it's been written in your heart, not on stones like the law was, but it's written on our flesh. And in their minds, I will write them. He's going to put all his just and righteous requirements into our hearts and on our minds. Then he adds, their sins and their lawless deeds, I will remember no more. That's pretty cool. That he cast our sin as far as the east is from the west. He throws them into the sea of forgetfulness. He chooses not to remember our sin. Isn't that amazing? Because I remember my sin. I remember your sin. But God chooses to not remember it. I love that. Because if I ask him to forgive me, he's faithful and just to cleanse me, or excuse me, to forgive me and cleanse me from all unrighteousness. And as he does that, his spirit is sanctifying me practically into the image of his son. Now, where there is remission, there's a payment of sin, of these sins, there is no longer an offering for sin. See, Jesus doesn't have to die again. He doesn't get back up on the cross as a Catholic would teach during communion. Christ died once for all, the just for the unjust, once for all. Communion is symbolic of remembering our wedding vows, of remembering that he died for us. So thus we say, Jesus prays for us where he sat down at it, he's praying for us, and he's still praying, and he's saying, sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. Guess what? Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. He is the truth. He is the word of God. And he is the way. And we need to follow his example. And just as the Father sent him and he was faithful in his house, he also sends you and me. And we need to be faithful to allow him to cleanse us. To allow him to sanctify us. And to complete the work he started in us until the day of Christ Jesus. So, Get into the word, prayer, and fellowship. Confess your sin and allow the Holy Spirit to wash you and cleanse you, not just positionally, but practically, because that becomes the evidence that you have truly been perfected and that the Spirit of God dwells in you. Amen? Now, next week, our memory verse is Psalms. 119 9 Psalms 119.9. Now keep your eye in the forefront on 10 and 11. I don't know if I'll go any farther farther, but we're going to do Psalms 119, 9, 10, and 11. How can a young man cleanse his way? By taking heed according to your word. With my whole heart I have sought you. Oh, let me not wander from your commandments. Your word I have hidden in my heart that I might not sin against you. Notice. Notice. That's what all of us need. 
How can a young man cleanse his way? How can we be washed and cleansed and sanctified from our sins, from our desires, from our ways, by taking heed according to your word? Sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. We want to write this down, memorize it, and we'll rehearse it a little bit more next week. Psalms 119.9. Amen? Amen.